Prior to the, this pandemic, uh, I was never one to typically turn my camera on uh, because oh, yeah. it's that. And, and it's interesting because in Australia, everybody turns their cameras on and a lot of Europe and UK as well. But for some reason, the US, we, we don't like turning our cameras on. Right. Uh, but ever since the pandemic, I've been just, just been turning mine on. And it's kind of an interesting social experiment to see, all right, who, who else is going to turn theirs on too? <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing industries. My guest today has spent the last few years raising awareness around the interoperability, technology, and the cultural challenges facing everyone in the AEC industry by helping to introduce the hashtag shared pains concept to bring together multiple perspectives in order for solutions and progress to be made. I'm very excited to have on founder and CEO of Spectrum AEC and the executive director of the Construction Progress Coalition, Nathan Wood. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here. Uh, can you start by sharing the, the heart and the, the mission behind the hashtag shirt paints? Oh, man. So th this actually goes way back to uh, 2013, I believe it was. Uh, Sasha Reed, who was at uh, Bluebeam at the time, and Kyle Hughes, who at the time was with uh, Skanska Construction, got together, realizing that um, it was it was uh, architects uh, sub submitting their PDF drawings uh, out of Revit or whatever their CAD solution was to all of us general contractors, using those drawings in our everyday uh, lives as far as document control and RFIs and everything that we were doing. So as Bluebeam started coming out with all these really interesting efficiencies uh, like hyperlinking and, and batch searching, we started to realize, well, crap, this, this tool is only as good as the quality of the PDFs that were coming out of those solutions. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of born out of that and realizing that we were entering this whole world of digital transformation, data interoperability, all these words that were like, whoa, 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 we're just talking about PDFs. It's like, well, yeah, we're talking about PDFs. We're talking about a lot more than just, just PDFs here. Right. The Construction PDF Coalition uh, became the Construction Progress Coalition in 2017 when we formed together with the Construction Open Standards Alliance. So now we were general contractors, architects, engineers, and the software providers um, on their side that were also frustrated with, hey, you know, we know our customers want our systems to talk together, but there's, you know, if there's not a standard out there, then we have nothing to rely off of. So we, we've always just sort of been gathering different groups together to try and solve these shared pains, these mm -hmm. shared um, interoperability where, you know, I either want the data insights or I want the exchange of the, of that data that gives you those insights to be more efficient. So you either come from one side or the other, but either way, solving that is the shared pains that we're really trying to address. Yeah. Love that. Uh, so how do you define a, a digital transformation? Ooh, um, so I, I actually, through different conversations with other thought leaders from other industries, um, ha have come to really break it down into three different um, steps. The first one being digitization. So the first step of how do we just, just get things that are analog, that are more human readable to be machine readable so that we can have insights and have dashboards and have all this great stuff. Mm. But if that creates a lot of inefficiency of duplicate entry, then we're not really solving the problem. So digitalization would be solving both the getting the data you need and kind of ma making it a little bit more efficient to exchange that data from one system to another. But then the last one would be that digital transformation. So the transformation is, you know, how did I ever do XYZ before this tool came about? You know, the Uber example. And so that's really, you know, how are you actually changing the way you do your job because of that tech? That's the digital transformation. Gotcha. So we're all in the midst of this 
social distancing with COVID-19 disruption going on. How do you see, yeah, how do you see that serving as a catalyst for digital transformation? Wake up call, right? I mean, I think that that's the whole discussion we're having now is what digital transformations are being required because of social distancing? What, Mm -hmm. what things like wet signatures on permits are preventing construction, which is a critical activity that needs to be happening from happening because mm-hmm. those that need to be in that office signing can't go to the office. And, and we have things like DocuSign, but yet we're not using them. So I think this whole thing is really shedding a light on our inability to, to go digital and go remote. I mean, obviously construction, you can't, you know, certain things we can, we can do more things offsite and it's, it's certainly pushing that. Uh, but construction by nature is a physical activity. So you need to have guys there, but everybody else that, that supports that system, really a lot of, of, you know, our, our folks on the technology side can do a lot of their work from home, but uh, we find these little pinch points where you can't, and uh, it's really exposing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious at the longer term ramifications of all this with everybody just totally up in the air, trying to figure it out remote. And I think there's going to be some things that people were like, Oh yeah, that was really good. And then there's other things that's like, that was totally inefficient. Why would we ever go back to that way of thinking again? Well, and, and there's cultural things too. Like uh, prior to the, this pandemic, uh, I was never one to typically turn my camera on uh, because oh, yeah. it's that, and, and it's interesting because in Australia, everybody turns their cameras on and a lot of Europe and UK as well. But for some reason, the U S we, we don't like turning our cameras on. Right. Uh, but ever since the pandemic, I've been just, just been turning mine on. It's kind of an interesting social experiment to see, all right, who, who else is going to turn theirs on too? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Try to get everybody to turn over to this, you know, we can still be in person and be virtual at the same time if we get over our kind of taboo stigmas with it. Yeah. And it really does help seeing the person on the other end of the, the line instead of just hearing this random voice coming through. Totally, totally. Uh, so you mentioned you know, kind of guidelines for the industry at the beginning when you were talking about the shared pains. Why is it important to develop those guidelines and then follow them in the industry? Yeah. And, and it's, it's important to distinguish guidelines from standards because, you know, too often they go, oh, construction progress coalition, you're a standards organization. Well, well I, I don't want to be labeled, you know, I, I don't want this group to be labeled as uh, developing standards because the idea is that mostly standards are already out there. Mm-hmm. What they need are guidelines. What they need is the ability to kind of condense and digest and, and contextualize uh, a lot of the these standards and and makes have it make sense for all these different perspectives mm-hmm. uh, so they can come together and and find solutions um, so yeah the guidelines are really intended to be dynamic to be adapted to the different um, perspectives that uh, are reading it um, and create that universal language so that we can all speak the same language and and solve this data interoperability challenge together so how far off do you think the the industry is from really getting to that dream and, and vision <sighs> Oh, man. Uh, well, I th- you know, innovation happens in a down economy. And, you know, wh- whether we'd like to admit it or not, we are very quickly entering this down economy. So Hopefully I think, not too down. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but the first thing that's going to need to come back up is, you know, infrastructure and, and a lot of these kind of basic needs that we've been putting on hold for so long because we're just mm-hmm. too busy with other things. So, I, you know, I think either way, there's going to be a demand on uh, the construction industry, that there is a call that we're going to have to answer. So I would actually say in in light of recent events, it w- I would put the, the timeline shorter, like a three to five year rather than a five to 10 year. Um, yeah. But uh, but that's, again, I'm always optimistic. <laughs> hey, I, I like being optimistic. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so one of the things that I find really interesting is 
the the cross section between technology and culture. What how would you define that for the AEC firms? You know, I, I think um, it's it's very interesting, and, and we we've, we've been throwing a lot of along around a lot of words. So I'm going to throw out some some words I just uh, come to learn more about. I was okay. speaking with uh, Amy Amy Marks with Autodesk, uh, who's you know our, our queen of prefab. Who, if you haven't had her on, you definitely need to get her on. She's awesome. Um, but uh, the the term industrialized construction, you know, I, I had to look up like okay what is the word industry? Um, and if you actually look up the, the word industry, it's, it's really fundamentally about bringing people together to make work in factories and, mm. ma- and make products in factories, which is truly what we're trying to do with everything that is offsite construction, with modularization, with all those things. And, and that is fundamentally a, a disruptive process to yeah. the way that we've always done it. So again, the same way Uber and the, the sharing economy for you know, cars has disrupted taxis, the same way uh, Airbnb has disrupted the hotel business, you know, what, what is that new methodology, that new way of thinking that's going to come in and disrupt construction? You know, that mm-hmm. people ask the question is Katera and that kind of single source turnkey, uh, you know, again, to be, to be seen. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But I think that those are the questions that we have to ask now of where are both the decision makers at the top, those who, who supply the actual you know, construction, the materials and the design and the permitting, you know, what, where are they all changing their processes? And then how, what, how and what technology is enabling them to do that? It's really all three of those things that, that come together. And so culture is a huge part of it, the same way with, with Uber. I mean, I, I watched it from San Francisco from you know, it first coming out in, in the early days of just black cars to you know, where they've come today with Uber Pool and all these different selection choices that you have mm-hmm. in the customer base that they've grown to and how a driver in San Francisco is very different from a driver in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, right. But you kind of love that about it, right? It's, it's almost become a reflection of the culture. So it's almost like you, you know you're one of those Uber for technology software when you are almost a reflection of that culture within that industry. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. So how do you go about building greater empathy between architects, owners, and the trades? Um, so, you know, and, and empathy itself is uh, kind of an interesting um, word in, in this industry, especially in construction. You don't usually hear the word empathy. People kind of just get queasy hearing it, right? Um, but, you know, the, this, this idea of respect for perspective, that everybody's an expert in something, but nobody's an expert in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do we recognize that uh, the, the trade contractors are, frankly, more knowledgeable in certain things? And any general contractor that thinks that they're smarter than a subcontractor, you know, sh- should know better than that. Um, but, but, but vice versa too, you know, <laughs> general contractors aren't all just, you know, numbness that, you know, they actually do see from a larger picture mm-hmm. logistics and scheduling and other things. And, and they play a role as long as they respect that role and don't overstep it. And you right. can have the exact same discussion for architects, engineers, anybody else up and down the supply chain. So it's, it's almost that, you know, women are 
from Mars, men are from Venus or whatever, right? A conversation that, you know, everybody's going to be different and how do we all complement each other um, to solve those problems? I think that's, that's where, you know, diversity and all these other things that we're seeing data behind that, that true innovation and true uh, efficiency come from that. You know, we need the same thing, not just uh, within our teams, but, you know, across our teams between architects, engineers, contractors and subs. Yeah. How do people learn the language of the other person? in order to slow themselves down to really listen to what they're, they're saying. Exactly. Uh, so change and innovation can seem like kind of scary words that get thrown out there, but how do you get somebody to embrace change and innovation? Um, well, I, and, and I think, you know, you, you certainly can't tell them to do it. Uh, that, that usually doesn't work, even if you're a leader telling people to embrace it. And I think you, you want to have to show it, you have to embrace it yourself. Like if you, if you are not comfortable with change yourself, you mm -hmm. certainly shouldn't be telling others to or, or teaching others to. Um, so that's kind of that step one is actually, you know, truly uh, embracing it. Yeah. Uh, before you coach it um, and, and understand that everybody's going to come at it at a different level. So I'm going to be a lot more natural at it and have more of that growth, growth mindset. You know, some are other, others are going to be, you know, more of that fixed mindset. And so recognizing where they are and helping them along the way and not pushing too hard, but not being too soft either. So I think oftentimes a lot of people can just get in their own way and be their, their, their greatest stumbling block when it comes to, to changing processes and uh but but how do you get somebody to a recognize that they're their own stumbling block in, in their way and then get out of their way uh are you talking to me because I, I feel like we're having <laughs> we're having a conversation me you and me here because yeah i mean that that one of my biggest challenges is trying to be my own best self so that I can mm -hmm. show others how to be their best self. Cause it, it's, it's really hard. Like there, there's no easy way to do it. It takes a lot uh, of self-awareness. It, it Absolutely. And, and, and that's, and that's where it starts, right? That's, you know, step one of the 12 step process is admitting that you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so it, and, and you can either ignore it or you can excuse it away, but it, it doesn't mean that it goes away. And so I think it's really about prioritizing, you know, of all the, the problems, of all the challenges, and, and also of all the opportunities that we don't have time for, you know, in this world of ever evolving change, how do we prioritize what are really important things that I should be focusing on? How do I, you know, but also, you know, addressing those, those urgent items, but um, mm -hmm. figuring out ways that you can, you know, automate those urgent items and, and not allow them to become urgent items. So you can spend more time on those kind of important rocks and, and future thinking. Yeah. So, a minute ago, you mentioned the the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Do you think that somebody can learn to get more grit? Because uh, I think when it, with a growth mindset, I think of somebody that's has a lot of grit and just gonna like buckle down and and figure it out, and they're okay, you know, getting their hands dirty and and mixing it up. So, do do you think that? Uh, yeah. yeah, is, is grit something that can be taught? Uh, so y yes, it can be taught. And then this goes back to, you know, I, I draw a lot of different analogies cause I've, I've done the Myers-Briggs test and, mm -hmm. and or, sorry, not test assessment. It's not a test. <laughs> there are no uh, wrong answers. Yeah. There are no wrong <laughs> answers. Um, even though there is yeah, all the, all the CEOs are apparently ENFPs, which is why if I took the early test and I wasn't, uh, ENFFP, which F stands for feeling overthinking and P standing for perception over judging. Yeah. And, and you can actually make the argument in, in that side of the world. And, and 
or if you take the disc test, you're you're a high D. That mm-hmm. also means you're you're more deterministic. You're more on the the J judgmental side. And I think as you look at those personalities, which again are innate, um, the more you understand them and the more you understand where you fit on them, the more you mm-hmm. can start to change. So yeah, so if you do realize like, oh, I do tend to kind of focus on my the you know my previous wins and and repeating things and and I kind of always always wish things were always the way they used to be you know and you yeah. happen to be like oh I am a fixed mindset I am a J I am a D I am a whatever um, or actually in that case it'd be more of C I believe uh, the conscientious right but, uh, either way you know as as you learn more of the psychology side of things like regardless of which assessment you take understand those and really focus on, um, you know, where, where are your weak spots, um, but also where can you ex- uh, accentuate your strengths? I think that's what's really cool about bringing that stuff back into the workplace in the appropriate mm-hmm. way, not saying like, <laughs> you should be an accountant, or you should be an actor, you should be whatever. You know, it's, it's not about that. It's about really understanding, um, you know, where do you come from? And how do you use that to your strength, um, but also bring people around you that can complement your potential weaknesses? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I love getting into those personality test and I'm, I'm a very high I. Uh, so okay. I, I love people and, and being around people and hearing their stories and all that stuff, um, which can be a great strength, can also be a bad weakness because <laughs> I will we'll look for those people. Blind, blind spots. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we, like, we right, have our blind have spots. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. C is very low on my thing. So details don't don't get me into the weeds too much. I, I'll burn out very quickly, but big picture, I'm your guy. Yep, we, we probably have about the same one. Nice. Uh, so what are some routines that people can uh, look for to start building some success around innovating and uh, coming to better understand people in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the fir- first and foremost, like we, we have a tendency and actually I have a tendency to um, almost downplay being in the fixed mindset, even though there's all these books and studies saying you should be growth mindset, but mm-hmm. it's it's like being an introvert versus an extrovert, right? Like everybody should be an extrovert, but half the population are introverts. Okay. Right. <laughs> so like sure. <laughs> half the population is going to be a fixed mindset and that that's okay. Well, there's, there's, a nothing, there's nothing wrong there with too. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, exactly. It's one, it's a sliding scale and two, you're going to fit somewhere on that 50, you know, 50, 50 curve. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and again, that's where emotional intelligence and your understanding of that allows you to change. And that's where society as a whole and, and evolution as a whole will push towards more of a growth mindset mm-hmm. as, as we all move that direction. But for those who do happen to say, hey, I'm a fixed mindset, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a fixed mindset. And I would, I would argue that there actually, there is something right to that and that there is something to, well, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? They're like, the history is extremely important and we mm-hmm. need to capture that history and we need to contextualize that history. And so being able to know how things used to be from those who really obsess about it is a really important thing for those who are, you know, just jumping off cliffs and taking risks to do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's the proper balance. But recognizing that they play a role of the devil's advocate, but they shouldn't necessarily be leading the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, you know, that that's I think an important understanding, especially if you are the leader of a company and you happen to be in a fixed mindset that maybe this is your time to step aside um, and let somebody else, you know, kind of take the reins, but be there as their mentor, be there as their challenger, be there as their devil's advocate, um, but really let them take the ship because we're in this such a volatile time where you need that growth mindset. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software's Live Lab Learning, a virtual classroom experience where students can listen, interact, 
and learn from veteran real-world application specialists in real time from anywhere in the world. LiveLab is the affordable, convenient way for your staff to take Autodesk certified training courses and even earn some AIA continuing education credits, all from the comfort of your own office. Visit ASTI.com for more information and let them know we sent you. It makes me think of the, the generational divide that's going on in the industry too. Not that older generations are in fixed mindset and youngers are always the, the growth mindset, but there is that divide between all the different generations in the industry. Uh, when you're looking at it through a culture lens, what kind of effect do you see the, the generational divide uh, playing in the industry? Well, I mean, Dan Smolo, who's uh, on, on the Shared Pants podcast as well, um, he talks about, you know, at Walsh, they have five different generations now within their company oh, wow. that, you know, represent what the greatest generation, baby boomers, Gen X, uh, millennials, and Gen Z now. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's a lot of different personalities, a lot of different experiences, you know, because your, sure. your personality is shaped by the experiences that you've been through. And so if if you don't, remember 9-11 happening, which is some of the kids coming coming into college, right? Like that is that next generation, which is crazy um, versus those that don't remember internet, which, you know, again, I was, I was in, you know, myself in middle school when, and I was just kind of making that switch from dial up and taking up your phone to, oh, okay, we can actually get um, some sort of a cable or radio internet in our area. And like, and and those are the things where you become more, um, you know, use that thing. And now, now my daughter, who's just turned three, can now tell Alexa, uh, or sorry, not Alexa, hey, Google, uh, play Peppa Pig, and we'll play Peppa Pig on YouTube. I'm like, oh, no, oh, yeah. we've hit that stage. <laughs> <laughs> but w- when you're that young and so comfortable with that, she actually already knows the logic of how it thinks um, and can can speak digital uh, better than anybody that, you know, will have come up in a different generation. And so I think w- those that are coming at it from older have to respect those that's like, wow, they're going to be a lot better at this stuff than me because they were doing this stuff in their formative years when I wasn't. So I don't have to be a tech whiz, but I do have to respect that it's taking over the world. <laughs> like there's no yeah. doubt in that. So, you know, at least understand a little bit of how it's working. And if, even if you don't want to touch it, um, you know, understand the impact that it's making for the things that you do impact, like, uh, again, organizational charts and, and key financial decisions and things like that. Because mm-hmm. if you just put it in, in the IT guy's court and don't manage his budget appropriately and don't understand uh, the, the compelling arguments that he's making, you know, we can't move forward with this stuff um, and we'll, we'll still kind of stay within our, our silos of information. Yeah, I'm really intrigued with... Uh, the mentoring going both ways of having somebody that's younger, knowing technology, uh, technology native mentoring some of the the people that may not be as comfortable with technology. And then the reverse of, of getting all that great industry knowledge and getting all the, the, you know, tips and tricks from the people who have been there and done that and come up through the the slog of it all and having that wisdom imparted onto the younger generation. I, I see that as a really healthy way to go about this generational divide. Uh, well, and, and the ability to create the environment where it's safe for both the top down to be vulnerable and the bottom up to, to be honest and, and to, 
you know, say something that might be defiant or, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever in a safe space. And, and that's in, in the Spectrum AC workshops, like what, what at the end of the day, whether the focus is lean or BIM or uh, what new tech, you know, technology we should be using, it always comes back to that same conversation of, are we really communicating? Like, are we really mm-hmm. effectively, do we really understand what each other wants and needs? Because if we don't do that, none of this stuff matters. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it goes back to the empathy. Are you really yeah. listening to what the other person's point of view and, really is? Well, with them is is the acronym we always bring out. What's in it for me? Yeah. Um, is you know if if we can't answer each other's with them and and come up with a new creative solution that is resolving multiple with them's, uh, because really the the, the different with them's are our shared pains, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and how we resolve them is by coming together, talking about them openly, and really thinking innovatively about how to rearrange you know all these piece of the puzzle to make them fit together better and uh until we take time and stop and do that which you know thanks to all this uh new new events we we have some time to do that as long as we can do more remote collaboration we right. can solve these problems and we can start moving forward uh in this in this downtime um but uh, we have to get together and we have to turn our cameras on we have to you know start talking to each other start empathizing um and and then start learning the language of of digital, you know, interoperability and, and figuring out what's in it for me in that digital language, you know, have that digital literacy so mm-hmm. that those that are really good at coding can solve these problems really quick. But we have to speak the correct language to them that, that works in their digital language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, around here, we have the phrase of tell them the why. So really get into the heart of let's explain the reason why we're doing something is it's not just that we're, we're doing something because we made it up out of thin air or there, there's a reason behind every intentional move. So let's explain that to them. And when people understand that why, and, and they, they can truly grasp that, it, it seems to, to click them, even if they disagree with the outcome of it, they can go, oh, okay, I see their logic. I see their motivation behind this might not agree with it, but I can move forward with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's, it's huge. Absolutely. Start with why, Simon Sinek, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so how do you go about educating and training those in the industry? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting you chose educating and training because I, I actually separate those those two words out between what really is education and, and education being that that consensus building, that language building, that, uh-huh. that understanding of are we on the same page with why and what it is that we're doing? Then we get into the how we actually do it is where I draw that line to training and training is, okay, now that I'm in the situation that I understand the context of, and I know holistically what I need to do, mm-hmm. what, what are the actual steps? What are the, the what's the procedure to do that? Mm-hmm. That training can be, you know, very much on demand and, and needs to be, you know, just in time and ready there and accessible. And there's different training platforms and other ways you can deliver that. Um, but kind of combining that with, you know, getting everybody together to have sessions where we're going through the education part um, and then letting them go and, and do that on-demand training in the just-in-time fashion is really the best way to deliver change in a um, kind of a effective way, knowing that we're all super busy and can't take all this time, but we have to take, you know, some time to get together, do the education part, and then, you know, make sure we build in time before we're going to do a new task to do the on-demand training. Yeah, I, I love how you separate those. Because uh, I feel like it's all too common when you get a new technology thing to just dive into the, the clicks and picks and figure out how to how the system actually works. But you 
don't have any context around it. So then you get frustrated of like, oh, this isn't working the way I want it to. And you're only really using, you know, 5% of the software mm-hmm. anyway, where if you had taken the time to kind of slow down at the beginning, unpack the context, why am I using this? What's the purpose of this? Then that training would go so much further and you would be able to start the hitting the ground running a, a lot harder and faster. Well, and for those that are early beta testers, the, this whole CDX language that we have with all of our plugs and our personas and it are different, they are intended to both communicate how how a new you know setting is is built and also to provide that feedback too. Because how often do we sit in those you know user feedback sessions where you know they're they're bitching about whatever you know feature they don't like, but they're not really truly able to communicate effectively what it is that they want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so it provides this kind of common language that this simple tool to kind of move, move these icons around and, and, you know, create some logic around, okay, what really is it, you know, what is the scenario that you're in? What is uh, the context and, and what are these data points within this RFI or this submittal or this pay app or this change order, whatever that, that you need. Um, so they go, okay, if that's really what you need, like either we have it or we don't, and we can mm-hmm. very easily put this on the roadmap. Um, but at least there, there, we're not going through multiple levels of translation. Um, Cause I feel like right now it's, we're just the whole thing is lost in translation. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so I, I'd love for you to take some time and tell us about the construction shared paints podcast spectrum AEC and uh, construction progress coalition. You're a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, with, with all this time home, in, home in my basement, you know, <laughs> gotta put some stuff out. but the, uh, yeah, so construction shared paints podcast, we're, uh, we're working through uh, season three. Uh, of course we have to add a new uh, episode one with all this <laughs> coronavirus, which is kind of set, setting our theme for the whole season. Um, but it, it, again, it's uh, bringing, bringing together different perspectives across architecture, engineering, construction operations, um, um, and technology uh, really around, you know, the four phases of, you know, digesting what is that challenge, whether it's lack of diversity in the workplace or or just this need for uh, open API integrations. You know, we kind of span a lot of different topics, but go through digesting that topic, um, debating the different perspectives on really kind of what's important about it, um, th- those key decision factors uh, moving forward in the decide section, and then, you know, who and how we're delivering uh, those uh, out to the industry in kind of ways that that, that they can get involved. So um, trying to follow almost the, uh, the TED radio hour, if you if you like um, NPR and the, the TED, TED talks, um, but uh, that style of, of bringing multiple different uh, folks together and um, spend way too much time post-producing them. But it's a fun, it's a fun hobby, but it is fun. You guys do a great job. I think it's a, no, it's a must you. listen. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And, to, and thankfully, because it takes so long, we only have about 12 episodes, but uh, yeah, real, real, real good content out there. Um, and so that's and a lot of the experience experiences come from, uh, you know, what I do with uh, Spectrum AEC, which I mentioned a little bit of, but uh, since 2016, um, le- left uh, DPR construction and a lot of my experiences, both on the corporate innovation and kind of organizational development um, and organizational um, psychology, you know, for that matter, not, not by, by any formal training, but mm-hmm. certainly reading books and, and experiencing, but uh, certainly understanding this AEC industry and having um, experience with multiple different uh, contract uh, structures as far as, you know, hard bid projects versus um, light design build versus fully integrated project delivery and kind of, and, and also the, the CM at risk and more of those infrastructure projects and um, how all the, all these different variables of people process technology and, and contract and legal um, really come together and, uh, and kind of just making sense of it. So um, support everyone from, you know, 
software to uh, industry to government uh, with really making sense of, of this uh, fourth industrial revolution and its impact on uh, the AEC industry. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and then Construction Progress uh, Coalition, last one uh, that I, I went through uh, earlier. Uh, you can go to constructionprogress.org to learn more about what we're doing there with the, the Common Data Exchange CDX initiatives. Um, we've got four initiatives, the request for information, uh, the design defabrication, uh, the uh, pay applications and work in progress report, uh, as well as the um, reality capture is our fourth initiative. So um, really working through those interoperability shared pains, uh, mapping them out and showing where solutions do exist um, through each of those initiatives. And so you can learn more about uh, how to become a member and join as a delegate uh, and push those forward at uh, constructionprogress.org slash membership. Thank you. Uh, and how do people get in touch with you besides the um, websites that you just gave out? Uh, how, oh, myself. Yes. Um, so uh, you can reach uh, on Twitter. It's uh, at Nathan C. Wood um, or feel free to email me Nathan at uh, SpectrumAEC.com uh, or uh, if, if you are more interested in the CPC stuff, Nathan at ConstructionProgress.org. So make it easy. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time and joining us uh, to talk through shared pains and the power of words. Thank you, Todd. This was fun. Yeah, really appreciate it. And thank you to all those listening. If you're interested in learning any more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASTI.com for more information. You can also listen to this podcast anywhere by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcasts, the AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.